0: Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Martin Kelly about turning around Citrix's IT provision by making it focused on internal users, while at the same time making it a showcase for Citrix's customers.
1: The, the first thing I decided we needed to do was to, was to make sure that the systems that we did provide and we supported and so on were stable and worked as they should have. And that was, believe it or not, a bigger problem than I expected it to be in that we literally had quarter ends where SAP was grinding to a halt where you know uh, people would say the sap guy would say look at it and say nothing wrong here the network guy would look at no, it's all good here and storage guy yeah all looking good and meanwhile the orders were grinding to a halt i remember getting a phone call from our cfo on just as i was boarding a plane in dublin to go to florida um, to say that we were at risk of missing our quarter end because the systems were grinding to a halt and um you know, enjoy your flight, of course. <laughs> I got on the plane and got off at the other end, and thankfully the issue had been resolved. But that was commonplace. I went in first that systems just didn't didn't do what they were supposed to do. So that was step one for me was we've got to steady the ship. We've got to provide a, a repeatable, reliable level of service that people can do their jobs with. What I saw as our role was we had to get, become that sort of showcase for how to use Citrix technology and how to be a partner with our the business. And because I saw we could have conversations with end customers that nobody else in Citrix could have. No, no salesperson, no like, uh, marketing person. With
0: due respect to all of the great customers, c- will trust the tech guys because you're doing yeah. the same same job as they are Yeah,
1: exactly. And so I, I, I saw this as a huge missed opportunity for our guys get out from their desks first of all and and put them in the real world of of other customers and also to allow them to to show that you know what we're actually not that bad because other customers have similar issues and we've actually got solutions and i found when we got our it people out in front of customers they invariably came back feeling better about themselves because they actually had because uh, we had very smart people in it but but uh, but they also had a way of of being able to persuade some of their own business colleagues that, you know what, our Citrix IT has a good story to tell. And so we put together a whole storybook around uh, the Citrix um, showcase in, uh, of our own technology and how we use it ourselves. And then the third phase was about going out and doing that. And we did a lot of that with, um, you know, seminars and, and webinars and conferences and whatnot. We, we spoke about how we used it. One other thing we did, and stop me if I'm rambling here, but one other thing we did, which that was is relevant, fascinating. You were talking about there, uh, Sam, around the car spaces and the, um, uh, you know, the offices and so on, um, and what it said. And so the Citrix IT team was in a 1965-designed office with cubicles. I swear you, it was like the most um, pathetic building in the most pathetic part of the campus in florida with high cubicles and all the network guys sat in one areas and you they couldn't get near them because they had books and everything around them you couldn't actually get and uh and all the different teams sat in different areas and i found it really hard to get the teams to work well together because you tap on the cubicle of one guy and he'd have a quick conversation but it just was a very uh, an environment that didn't lend itself to collaboration so The opportunity came up for us to take on a completely unassigned seating model, which meant that we redesigned an entire floor into zones where teams had no, no defined space. They had a zone that they could work in, which, depending on the work they were doing, so, for example, if they needed quiet time, they could work in a library space. If they needed to collaborate, they could work in a collaboration zone and, and so on. Um, and it completely broke down all the barriers between the different groups. So, um, and to, to enable that type of work environment, you had to have virtual desktops. You had to use... Well, I was going to say
0: that you, your own technology would enable that change to happen
1: yeah so so that was transformational for us in terms of really showing and then what that was also in the headquarters building so when customers would come in for executive briefings and presentations we would encourage the salespeople to bring them up to the IT floor to do a tour to show them how Citrix IT worked. And uh, and that was really, you know, the, the, them seeing live and in, in color. And there were no offices in any of those spaces, none, like including me as the most important person in IT. I didn't have an office. I had a, uh, I had a I'm Fantastic. joking about that, but I, my humility's gone, Sharon. But... Uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, but big, no, we, we big, just big, had, big fan I mean, of the of the leadership team sitting in and amongst that makes yeah no difference.
1: And I remember the first day, one of the guys taking a, a photograph of me at a workstation and putting it out on on his I don't know what Instagram or Facebook or whatever as the the VP of our department at his desk. And it was just it was me sitting, which I thought was kind of like yeah, you know, I thought it was kind of sad in some ways that it was that noteworthy, but uh, yeah, but you know yeah. that that so that that kind of was about trying to get us on the front foot and also about trying to get the i t team to feel good about themselves because they were very downtrodden and,
0: and unloved mm. yeah, and I guess by making them almost a part of the sales effort as in it as an exemplar for your customers, they feel much more valued than they would otherwise
1: absolutely yeah and and it also I, I used to do this in tech support as well when people would say to a customer or say to a you know, a, 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 a technical relationship manager or a sales manager to well, tell the customer we can't or won't do that or whatever, that doesn't work. And, and I used to say to the tech support guys, no, I'll tell you what, you, you tell the customer that. So we'll go with the salesperson to tell the customer. And invariably, you come out of those meetings where the black and white of you can't do that suddenly became a shade of gray. Well, we could think
0: about mm-hmm. it and blah, blah, blah. So it's, yeah. it's... Get around the problem a different way.
1: Real world, yeah.
0: yeah. Very interesting. So... How important was identifying talent in the team to move this forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was critical because, I, I, as I said, I didn't have the experience of having run IT before. So I had to assess, A, people who had the technical ability, and B, people who I thought could move in a different direction and, and people that were changeable, I suppose. Um, so that was that was absolutely fundamental. And I, I think I was... I had a lot of experience in assessing technical people and hiring them, and developing them, and managing them, and so on. So I felt good about being able to pick the people that I that I thought would work best. And I didn't get it I didn't get it right all the time, but I did build a pillar of a team of of of, of people within a team that I knew I could I could move forward with, even though some of them were not didn't work out, or some of them didn't want to stay or whatever but i knew i had enough core people pulling in the right direction to allow us to uh, to move because there were about 300 people in the group worldwide so i needed to have a core of people i could i could rely on and so picking that talent was fundamental
0: and developing trust in a team that's clearly also important <clears throat>
1: Yeah, it was. And I, I, I would say first, when I came in, I'd say there was a lot of mistrust towards me because A, they didn't know me. B, they knew what they did know about me they didn't like because I didn't have an IT background. And C, I was appointed by the, by the CIO who had made some pretty radical changes in other parts of the organization. And so I think they thought, okay, this is, you know, this guy's coming in to do a hatchet job. Um, and so, you know, trust is an interesting. It's it's an interesting word and concept because, you know, it's sort of it's closely related to to confidence. I think, and and confidence. I think confidence is fundamental for for people. But it, it's a word that has two meanings. Actually, one one is that it you trust that you have trust or confidence in people or in plans or in what they're saying. Um, but the other meaning is that you that you have certain qualities or abilities that you're confident in your abilities or qualities so i think that the confidence and trust i think were two parts of what we needed i needed to have confidence but i also needed to make sure that our people felt confident themselves to take some of the risks that we were doing if that makes sense
0: that makes a lot of sense
2: And it's really interesting to hear you defining trust like that martin and we do tend to think of trust uh, like that but what? where um, Lencioni takes trust. And I think what you created provides it, but it, what, what we're trying to do on these podcasts is take some of the subconscious and make it conscious. Yeah. Um, so I'd really be interested in your um, interpretation of this. But we talk about trust as vulnerability-based trust. And what we mean by that is it's a safe place to say what you really think that you feel like someone's got your back that you can admit if you've made a mistake or if you need help that's the kind of trust that we look to build in teams and and it sounds like what you're describing although you're not using those words that's that's the conversation and that's that's how it was
1: well uh, yeah i think i mean i think that's also uh, closely linked to sort of being authentic right and being yes. being yourself and i i certainly would I put a very high value on personally and also on people I work with being themselves. people can feel safe enough to, to be themselves, then the real stuff will Absolutely. get surfaced and bubbled. And, and yeah. it's, it's, it's when people feel they should play a certain role or say a certain thing or behave a certain way, but it's not intrinsically natural to the way they are. It, yeah. it's, it 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 creates all sorts of unease for me and for the people around if you kind of know so it, yeah it's about having a connection where you really feel okay i'm 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 i really understand this person they're being themselves and that's you know the authenticity and the trust i think is it comes from that being and and sometimes that means and in certainly in my case it, it frequently meant being a, being able to say to people clearly I don't actually know the answer to that like people would say where what should we be doing I don't know
2: but you lead by example don't you with that and and that's what we say it has that and that's why you know in in the intro Shah talked about you being the humble leader it has to start there and at Citrix it did start with Mark yeah Um, absolutely he set the tone yeah he absolutely set the tone and that's that it's so critical but I, I, I want to give Another example of trust, because you tend to think of building trust as you have to spend time with people to build the relationships, to, to build trust. And we, we touched on this in, a, in, another, in another podcast. But um, uh, one of the best um, examples of this in corporate America, actually, was Ford and the turnaround of Ford. So um, in the early 2000s, um, Ford was on the verge of bankruptcy. And the Ford family recognized they needed to bring in a new CEO. And that was a guy that they brought in from Boeing called Alan Mullaly. And when he came in, he realized that he was coming into an organization that there was a lot of mistrust. People didn't feel safe. It was a very political environment. And what what he did was, to start with, he got his leadership team together. And they would do a weekly, we would describe it as a, a uh, it would be a weekly uh, equivalent of a, a QBR. So a weekly business review. And he gave each of his department heads a traffic light system and particular things that they needed to measure. And he said, you know, this is, this is you. You need to be responsible for this. You need to be presenting this. None of, none of your other team, it's, it's got to be presented by you. You need to be accountable for these traffic lights and, and how your departments are doing. In the first few weeks, of these weekly review meetings, every single traffic light was green. Right? <laughs> They're on the verge of bankruptcy. So every it's traffic light is green. There are no problems. Um, it about a month into it and 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 alan was is was the type of leader that he would you know he wouldn't sit and eat his lunch in the ivory tower he'd be down on the shop floor he'd be meeting and talking to people and asking them how their day was and genuinely listening to it so he was very much a man of the people and people were starting to think you know this guy's a little bit too too good to be true but in in a, about a month in actually the guy that thought he was going to be made ceo and didn't get didn't get met, given that role they'd got a Uh, problem with manufacturing in America for the first crossover car, and he'd got a problem. And he thought, you know what? I'm probably going to be out the door anyway. I might as well flag, I've got this problem. So he was the first one to put a red light on his thing. And as he put his slide up, there was a gasp around the room, and everyone's thinking, you know, this guy's for the chop. He's not going to be here in a week's time. The response from Malaylee was he stood up and gave him a standing ovation and went, thank you for highlighting a problem we now we've got something to fix and people thinking he's just saying that a week later he's still there but over time people realized that it was a safe enough place to be able to surface the issues and Mm. i think i heard on a on a patrick podcast recently and they were reiterating a similar story that you can't solve secrets you need to know what the issues are so that you can address them. And it yeah. needs to be a safe enough place to address yeah. that. So, you know, and to just finish that story, Ford were the only one of the big three car manufacturers that didn't have to have a government bailout. They fixed their problems right. on their own. And that, you know, so Mullally in the US is really seen as one of the most transformational leaders. Yeah. And there's a, there's a wonderful story you know we talk about Patrick Lencioni there's a wonderful story of them by chance sitting on a plane together meeting and Patrick says to Alan Mullaly you need to write a book and uh, uh, Mullaly says I don't need to because you've written it already and he gets Patrick's <laughs> book out of his bag on the plane brilliant
1: yeah
2: wow so, absolutely anyway.
1: That's fantastic. Actually, it's very interesting, Vicky, uh, what you say there around, um, because one of the things we did to improve stability, for example, was, because we used to have lots of outages and we had a thing called an RFO, a reason for outage. And the RFO form was filled in by somebody who said, you know, Server reboot. It's just some one-liner, and I was sort of saying, "Well, this doesn't, this doesn't explain." So we we introduced a post-mortem on all major incidents, outages that affected uh, a certain number of people or that were significant to impa- impact to the business. And it started off being a rubber stamping like before, and and eventually, you know, reinforce I reinforced to the team that we need to understand it's not about finding someone to to blame it's about really understanding and fixing things at root cause because when we did the analysis on outages we saw a huge pattern of repeat incidents the same things happening over and over and over again and people would restore and they saw themselves as you know batman and coming in to restore service as heroes but not really thinking and understanding more about what. So one of the biggest impacts we had in improving stability, probably the biggest actually, was was that whole process of reviewing of incidents and doing a post mortem that was it didn't name names or people. It it uh, figured out what went wrong and how what we would do to fix it. And that that yep. was transformational. And we saw a huge reduction in in incidents and uh, improvement in stability as a result of that. A similar kind of an, yeah.
2: Yeah, and le- learning from mistakes. And funny enough, yeah. um, we had James McNabb on a podcast um, recently, and he was at uh, Cisco, and he's saying actually part of their process of, of all their meetings is they, they look at what, what are the things that we've done that we could have actually done better and look yeah. at it from that perspective. which is So it's a learning culture, isn't it? And yeah. I think that's, that's critical to come back to our point of what we're, we're doing in this podcast and addressing the pace of change. You've mm. got to be able to to have that environment.
0: Yeah, the fashionable difficult... term these days is having a growth mindset, isn't it?
2: You yeah. Know, so
0: your are your your people who are enjoying being heroes by solving the problem actually need to move on to being the next level of hero by solving that problem permanently.
1: Yeah, and enabling absolutely.
0: themselves to move on to the next thing, rather than being the you know the glory boy or girl who gets phoned up and fixes the problem for the boss all the time. It's and really and, that, and that's that's
1: you know that's about setting the agenda about what is recognised as heroic behaviour. And and I think mm. part of what we were doing was saying yes, it's great that that was fixed, but the real sort of stories that we created around heroes was about people that either you know identified root cause, or even better, automated things that had a tendency to break. Because we put a huge mm. emphasis on automation around, um, and self-service. So instead of having people calling a service desk to have their password resets, whatever, yeah. we, we allowed this self-service enablement of password reset and self-service uh, capability in a whole range of areas so that it didn't need to be done by anyone. And then you, Mr. Engineer, could go do something else more interesting than doing the same thing over and over again.
0: But this ties back into all of those conversations about, or the, the conversation we had at, at the start of the podcast around digital transformation or uh, technology-enabled business change. I suppose, yeah. in that you know, if everybody is running around putting out fires all the time, nobody's got the the budget, whether that's time budget or monetary budget or just you know me- mental space yeah. to, to move things forward. Yeah. Um, so you've got to redress the balance by automating things, by solving that problem once and moving on rather than solving it every time for individuals. So it's really interesting concept, which I guess takes us on to thinking about how you enable your team and yourself to cope with the pace of change.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's, 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 it's a slow burn at first. I think it, it's about, you know, creating a sense of energy and excitement. And in my case, it was about, you know, I suppose being honest with people and saying where we're at is not a good spot to be in, right? The customers don't think our service um, is good. Our CEO is talking about externally about old IT and new IT. So we put together a project around transforming IT. And the, and the challenge for the team was, which are we? are we the old IT that Mark T, I mean, I leveraged Mark because he was very well respected within Citrix, but the challenge was, you know, we know what Mark T is saying about new IT and its characteristics, which are we, are we old or new, and which do we want to be, and, uh, and and then putting together a series of work streams that that, that we, uh, we put some, uh, you know, I put a lot of time, I worked with people, and I must admit, I had been, not cynical, but yeah, maybe a little cynical, about uh, some of the organizational change, organizational development, change management methodologies, blah, blah, um, that I come across. But I worked with a really good person, uh, a few people, but one particularly good person in head office uh, in this whole area. And she helped me to put together some of the change, uh, the whole process around communicating some of the directional changes and bringing people with us and, and put the emphasis on, you know, regular cadence of communication of creating uh, sort of a narrative around the whole story that people can, can buy into. And I must say that was very, very useful um, as a way of, instead of it, because if you're doing lots of different things and they don't come together in an overall package or a context, it can feel to people like they're just being pulled in so many different directions. You know, today he has his working on this, tomorrow it's this, whatever, but putting it into a context of this is part of a, a bigger, initiative and breaking it into work streams and then recording we had dashboards created of results and accomplishments and things we achieved along the way so it was kind of like a it generated a bit of energy and excitement i think around uh, the transformation so people were less less fearful and more inclined to see the benefit of it one of the things that i i, I read um and, and steve jobs i mentioned apple at the very start and steve jobs is somebody that uh, i I've, i admire a lot but I, I i think one of the things he said which i can't remember the exact quote but something like you can't really join the dots looking forward you join the dots looking back uh, I think. yeah so sometimes yeah. you don't actually know you don't it's not like the old or what i would consider the old-fashioned way of project managing is you set the direction you're clear then you've got 10 steps to get there and you tick them off one by one you don't necessarily know where you're going to end up exactly but you can look back but you 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 keep – it's a bit like an agile m- m- mindset you, around – You keep
0: moving forward.
1: You keep moving forward, and uh, you face what's in front of you at that point, and then that determines where you go next and then where next and so on, so that you're, you're not trying to figure it all out, out up front. And that's part of the whole authentic, authentic communication up front to say, I'm actually not sure – the end point, but we have to get to a point where we are closer to customers, closer to the business of Citrix. We're providing a service that people, we used to use this terminology internally or uh, this sort of mantra of internal pride, external envy, right? We want people in Citrix to be really proud of what we're doing, and we want people outside to say, Sh- I'd really love to be part yeah. of that or be doing something like that. Right. So it's kind of, you know, that. That messaging around, don't ask me to give you exact directions where we're going, because I'm not actually sure, but I know that we're moving forward and it's step by step.
2: That's such a great example of giving that motivation of why and purpose and and getting that general belief, but without needing to to micromanage. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a body together, isn't it, versus
0: it's actually quite almost quite good career advice for people in that yeah you know, it's you really would, clever <laughs> you know, do, do you have a career plan until you've finished it and you're looking back and yeah. you think how you got yeah. to where you got to so martin is there anything that you would have done differently looking back um
1: i would have moved faster i think i did i because i was new to it i my my um my analysis of the problem and the situation we were in, I, I think I had done that fairly quickly, but I didn't move as fast as I should have to actually get, move, to, 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 to get the, the troops rallied, if you like, around uh, changing the situation. So we, we sort of, and part of that was my own lack of um, confidence in whether I was actually making the right judgment call here because it was a new area for me. But in hindsight, I, I think I could have I could have moved faster um, and 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 should have.
0: That's, that's it. Yeah, I think it's. You probably won't be the first person to make that observation about what they've done because yeah. you, you know you you don't know at the time how fast you should move and you know Well, there's always the, the danger move. that
1: you'll spook the herd because yeah. the IT systems were so you know were so creaky plus mm. but yet the business obviously depended. There were core systems that needed to be maintained and, and there were yeah. very few people that uh, you know, a lot of IT depended on a handful of people yeah. who really knew everything. You need, so
0: you need to take those hearts and minds with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I was I was fearful of you know being the the first non-IT leader of IT to screw mm. things up and 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 yeah. you know, make a <laughs> make a mess and then leave things in a you know f- so it took me a while to get comfortable enough to know I had those hearts and minds yeah. as you say and um, and so in hindsight sense. I probably could have moved quicker but I didn't I didn't.
0: But The Facebook adage of move fast and break things doesn't necessarily work with IT operations even if perhaps it does with software development
1: it doesn't and i'll tell you the, the the level of one of the things I found quite unusual in IT is the level of hostility towards IT because Citrix was a very personable sociable company, and people you know generally got on well and i 'd run tech support and I thought i 'd be battle hardened for, for for what mm. to expect but the level of hostility like open hostility and anger that people felt towards IT was was quite shocking. Actually, it took me a while to get used to it, and I, and um, you know I I think I had to I had to adjust for that. That if people are already that fed up, um, they don't the, the tolerance for you know people talk about innovation, change, and we should be doing blah blah. But as soon as you do something that causes their experience to be worsened, they can be very mm. intolerant and impatient with that. So you kind of you have, to, you have to navigate carefully.
0: And, you know, we used to say that when putting in Citrix solutions for customers, when they wanted us to scrimp and save on specs or something like that to, to take a bit of money out. We said, well, you know, you can't deliver this stuff and make the experience worse than it is before. You yeah. have to make it considerably better. Obviously, you get the flexibility benefits, work, work from here, there, and everywhere. That's a hot desk work from home that's fantastic yeah. but the actual experience of using the system has to be at the very minimum every bit as good as it was before yeah preferably a load better
1: yeah that's right and and yeah. it doesn't take much or uh, you know if a few disgruntled people mm. in an it organization not being malicious but just by dragging the chain as it were and not not yeah responding as they could could make a huge difference to how your service uh, goes overall, so
0: yeah, makes sense. so have you got any key takeaways for us for our listeners um, yeah i
1: mean I, it, uh, you know i had i, I, I think i think i 've always actually i was going to say I had a um, imposter syndrome when I was in i t but then again i th- 've always had it because most of the jobs i 've had. I went into that never, I'd never done them before. Um, But I think, I think the, 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 the first key lesson, I suppose, or takeaway for me that if, if you start from the point of view of the consumer or user of the service and work back, um, you'll, you'll, you, you'll, you're in the right. I think it's the right place to start. I think you can get very easily bogged down in understanding the nitty-gritty problems within IT and org structure and budgets and all that kind of stuff. But I think starting from the outside and 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 working back, um, I think was is is the one thing that I think was the it was my gut and my experience was to start there, and I and I think it was the right thing to do. Um, I think as IT as CIOs now you know, it, it it's no longer the case where IT is a department. I mean, I, technology is the business of many organizations. You know, I, I do work with um, Paddy Power, for example, and, and Paddy Power is nominally a, you know, a betting company, but actually it's an IT, it's a technology company mm-hmm. because their entire business is, is, uh, is technology related. So I think understanding that, you know, it used to be, as I say, IT was a department, now it is at the core. And that's what, to me, what real digital transformation is when your IT is actually dri- is at the table and driving decisions you make about where you go with your business, not not how you use technology. So, um, so that that sort of uh, focus, I think, is is, is certainly one. I, I think I think Sharon or uh, Vicky, you said it earlier about at the end of the day, you know, there's lots of complexity and lots of issues and so on. But at the end of the day, it is really about people and how you. Yeah how you can uh, you know connect with people i think it is about having a connection you don't necessarily have to be in fact you often can't be you know best of buddies but that there's a mutual respect mm. and and trust and and there's a level of comfort that i can be and myself and that there's no game going on here and politics and all that kind of stuff i think that 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 creates so much organizational friction that um, my late mother used to say that uh, you know that she, she always put a huge emphasis on creating a good atmosphere within the home. So whether it was Christmas or Easter or whatever, it was always like it felt like it was a really good buzz and a good vibe. And I think creating that environment or atmosphere where people can and get getting getting people uh, the opportunity to to remove all the noise, all the kind of backwash of stuff that gets in people's gets on their nerves and let them let them gets in the way yeah 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 gets Absolutely in the, way.
2: Gets in the way. and yeah. sam you can you can relate to that that's that's exactly what you did at soccer isn't it yeah
0: that's it you know try and you know we you can never entirely engineer politics out of an organization no. but you know we talked on a previous podcast about clarity you know if everybody's got a clarity of direction of travel they know what they what, what the the end goal is or at least the the goal that is within sight Everybody, like you say, doesn't necessarily like each other to, you know, as BFFs, as my daughter yeah. would say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, get, get along, can enjoy each other's company, can have a beer or a coffee or a game of football or a game of basketball or something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, just kind of get along a little bit. We're a long yeah. time at work. We're a long time at work. So if that environment yeah. is negative, it's not great, is it?
1: Yeah, and that's where egos can, I, I think, people who are sort of, you know, have big egos and who are acting like lightning rods to attract all good stuff and associate themselves with it and, you know, bragging mm. and boasting about what they, it was easier yeah. for me because I didn't actually, like, I, you know, I was completely dependent on the team of people that I, mm. that I had. So it wasn't, I wasn't, from a technology point of view, I wasn't setting the direction I was, I was, pulling together orchestrating i guess the team but so but i think it's important that that people even even if they have a direct role that they respect the contribution that the broader it's never a person's idea Mm. or project or whatever it's always not you know to to have that modesty i suppose or humility to say well look this is and to mean it i mean a lot of people say it but to actually mean it in the way that they behave and the way that they come across
0: thats
2: being authentic again then isn't it yeah Yeah. exactly right yeah
0: yeah, but I always oh, yeah. used to say that. I, you know, particularly when we formed the office of the CTO within Softcat, it absolutely wasn't my idea. My my job was to bring a bunch of brains that we had in the business together. Yeah, and I, I was just the pitch guy. I was just the guy who would go and get them airtime in front of customers, in front of the sales guys, in front of the rest. Yeah. of the, the, the executive team. They were the they were the actual brain power. I was just just really giving them the opportunity to have their voice heard. Yeah.
2: Funny you say that, Sam. That that was my role at VMware. I was the voice of the field back into Europe and into the US. And in fact, the, the 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 emblem we had for my team was a tiny little person with gigantic ears, which does come from <laughs> me because my ears are gigantic, <laughs> um, and one is larger than the other as well. Oh, which... I never noticed that. <laughs> Turn your head no, so I can check. There you go. Oh, they are. There you go. No, you're right. Okay, look, wow. Look at one.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. so Brilliant. no um, but but that was it it was we were the voice of the field and i used to say we used to come up with different directions well from the partner advisory council through mm. to it was never my idea i just listened to other people's ideas yeah. and then gave gave them the voice to go and take it who needed to hear it so yeah, yeah. yeah it's a really good example
0: no absolutely so, so as we've covered a lot on the uh, pace of change today ricky you've got some uh information that might be of value to our listeners i think
2: yeah actually it's a it's um we did a leadership survey last year surveying 200 it leaders and from that we identified that actually if you are going to be able to move quickly and keep up with the pace of change then you need to have a high trust culture and there were some really really interesting findings on on that so we're going to make that paper available it's, it's not very long it's only seven pages but there's some really really useful content in there we'll make that available in the in the show notes
0: fantastic That's interesting really that helpful. sounds Thank really you. interesting so Shah, i think with all of that said it is probably era time
3: It is hero time, Sam. And in fact, I nearly forgot it was hero time because I was so interested in listening to Martin. I've really enjoyed this conversation. So I'm sitting back enjoying myself and I thought, oh, what about hero time? So um, for those that maybe aren't regular listeners, let me just um, explain what hero time is. So at the Amplified Group, we have a brand. uh, It's a stick man. And we've affectionately called him hero. And what we do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to tell us who their hero is. So that can be anybody from somebody that's inspired them, a motivational speaker, or just somebody that they just think of that particular day as helped them through their day. So with that, Martin, um, I'm going to ask you if you could maybe share with us your thoughts on who your hero might be.
1: Okay, um my hero is probably from a certainly from who influenced me in my career is um is steve jobs of apple and and uh you know for the very reason as i said at the very start i literally came into the it industry by chance i i happened to work for a company that was an apple distributor um and that founder of that company knew steve jobs personally but over the years i think everything he has done has been so transformational and and he has he has Orientated technology industry away from the bits and bytes and towards users and customers and that 's something that I feel very passionate about but I also think it's enabled it 's enabled i t to be a lot to to do a lot more interesting work because you take away you know you you, you take away the complexity from the user and and you put it back into um, into automation or into into other areas i think he 's been He's tra- he's changed the world. I mean, the whole uh, smartphone, the whole uh, Apple. He's had setbacks. I remember the very first time I saw the Apple Lisa, which was the precursor to the Mac. It was the first machine that had a, a, a GUI, a graphical user interface, as opposed to a command line type thing. And I remember thinking, "Wow, that's that is that is." big and it was it was so cool and so well designed so for reasons of you know he was a flawed human being in some ways too we all have our 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 demons if you like um but he was unrelenting in his passion for good design good quality and a good experience for users of the technology and for me as a person who came into the industry uh, particularly into IT, more concerned with improving the effect of it rather than the process or the or the bits and bytes of it. I, I think he's somebody that I've always I've always admired and and, and looked to.
3: Yeah and I agree I mean I think what you said earlier about redesigning that um that floor and, and knocking down the walls really yeah. I see Steve Jobs as somebody that doesn't have any walls around him he doesn't th- think inside a box he thinks yeah. outside the box and uh, and he's actually a hero of my husband's as well so I always get the odd uh, quote and the things thrown at me from him of oh, yeah. Steve Jobs said this in the past and and uh yeah so um I, I can I can certainly understand that so thank you very much for sharing uh, yeah, that um, and sam i'll hand back over to you for finishing off
0: i mean that really rather encapsulates today's conversation in 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 one magnificent example uh, absolutely love it so thank you for that martin it's been an yeah, absolute welcome. pleasure so thank you for listening to get amplified from the amplified group if you liked it please be sure to subscribe and we'll see you next time